This is Surfing Through Cinema. I'm your host, Hawaii Harry. Today, I will be discussing the next film for Star Wars Week. This is a film that takes place a few minutes before the beginnings of Episode 4 of Star Wars. With great characters, cool visuals, and fanboy moments, for example, Darth Vader slashing rebel scum, I'm of course talking about Rogue One, A Star Wars Story. Okay, so some technical details about Rogue One, A Star Wars Story. It received two Academy Award nominations for Best Sound and for Best Visual Effects. Now, what's interesting about this is the director, Gareth Edwards, he's, um, his experience was with visual effects and with digital design, and so he definitely put in a lot of time and effort into making this film uh, visually pleasing and visually appealing. And that's one of the highlights of this movie is it's visually fantastic. And what's nice is, unlike some other films, they combine the use of both practical effects and digital effects to kind of give it that old, um, <clears throat> to kind of coincide with the original Star Wars movies because they also just had practical effects. So it was really cool to see that they kind of paid homage to that. So another technical detail, um, they used unused footage from episode 4 to kind of bring back old characters who either the actors have passed on or they've aged a lot. And they blended it really nicely with the rest of the movie. You can hardly tell that they were just digital inserts and not real people. Another cool thing they did, they had Grandma Tarkin in it, but Peter Cushing, he passed away in the 90s. So what they did was they got a famous character actor who could do an impression of Peter Cushing, and they studied the mannerisms and the movement that he would do in the original movie, and then they superimposed a digital face of Peter Cushing on top of him. And um, nowadays, it kind of looks a little corny, a little cheesy, you know, but then it was really impressive. Um, you know, compared to other movies that have tried this technique, like in Tron Legacy, who's, it did not turn out as well as this one. So it's really impressive to see what Hollywood can do with digital effects. Because not only can they make insane and crazy backgrounds, they can actually bring back dead actors. You know, the, the abilities of digital technology are limitless. Alright. And on top of that, they also had a young version of Carrie Fisher. And... Rather than having a, a voice actor kind of um, <clears throat> try to mimic her, rather than having a voice actor mimic her, they just took some of her old dialogue from the original film and they added it into this one. Now, the visual effects on her aren't as good. Um, you could kind of tell it is an actor with her face, with Carrie Fisher's face superimposed on it. But, like I said, it's still very impressive that they were able to do that. And uh, it just opens the door of what future movies will look like. Alright. So those are the technical details. Now I'm going to get into the plot. Um, so Galen Urso, he's found on a planet and he's taken away from his daughter Jin. And he's to help build the Death Star. And so that's how we start off the movie. And we get introduced to both Jin, her father, and the main villain, um, Captain Krennic. 
or Commander Krennic. I can't remember what his rank is, but he just goes by. People just call him Krennic. And that kind of sets up the stage for what, what we're going to get ourselves into with the rest of this movie. And what's nice and interesting is, rather than having, having an opening crawl like they typically do in a Star Wars movie, this one doesn't have one at all. It says a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, and then the movie starts. And then after the events of uh, the beginning of the movie, you know, as Jin is hiding and running away from the stormtroopers, it then cuts and then says Rogue One. And I thought that was really cool how they kept the original elements from the original movies, but then also added their new twist on it. Because, kind of jokingly, but <clears throat> Kathleen Kennedy and the others at Lucasfilm, they decided not to do a crawl because this movie itself was kind of based off of episode four's opening crawl you know about how a group of rebel spies just got the secret plans to the death star so that would mean if they made another crawl then that would mean another movie would have to be made kind of jokingly they said that but nevertheless it's really cool that they were able to to do that they followed you know what the opening crawl of episode four said um that was interesting. Alright, and then <clears throat> about 15 years later, Jin, she's uh, broken out of a prison, and then she's sent with some rebels to Jeddah to find um, a pilot that deferred from the Empire. And with this, we get to see all the other characters we're going to get to know throughout the rest of the movie. Um, <clears throat> we learn Jin has kind of become a rebel, but not in the sense of she's against the Empire, she's just beats to her own drum, does her own thing. And yeah, we, we get to learn about um, K2SO and um, Cassian Andor. And Cassian, they're both pretty funny characters, especially K2SO, he's definitely the comic relief. He's a super sarcastic Imperial droid. And so they're going to Jeddah to find a pilot who has a message from Galen Erso, supposedly about a new, um, a new weapon that the Empire has developed, which is of course the Death Star. And they find him. He's been he's been imprisoned by a man named Saw Gerrera, who's a character we first met in the Clone Wars and have seen a couple times in Rebels. And he's portrayed by Forrest Whitaker. He's kind of a crazy um, elitist, not elitist, uh, extremist who. You know, does his own thing, and they they help the pilot escape. But on top of that, the Empire wants to test out their new weapon, and they decided to use Jeddah, which is the place they took all the Kyra crystals needed to power the Death Star. They decided they're gonna um, blow up the whole city of Jeddah just to show the power that the Empire has, and so they fire the Death Star onto Jeddah. And then it just totally implodes and blows up not just the city, but basically the planet itself. It starts to implode on itself. And it's crazy how they did that. Um, you know, the visual effects of it were fantastic. I mean, yeah, it's sheer and complete destruction, but it was insane how they were able to do such amazing effects with that. So they're trying to hurry their way out of there. And, you know, before all this happens, Saw Guerrero shows... Uh, Jin the message and the message was that her father 
um, he placed a weakness within the Death Star so that the Rebels could destroy it. And uh, that's what was so important about these plans. And that was, that was the importance of the message, is letting them know, hey, there's a weakness in it. And so Jin, she's, um, you know, she's trying to convince everyone else that, hey, my father put a weakness in the Death Star, but no one believes her because her dad, you know, created the Death Star, the, the most evil and cruel weapon that the Empire has. And so, Caden? I think that's his name. Caden, I believe is his name. He has orders from the rebels to go and assassinate um, Galen Urso. And so, they're flying to the planet that they found Galen on, but... Jin thinks they're doing that so that they could bring him before the Rebels to kind of discuss about the weakness in the Death Star. In reality, they're just there to go and kill him. And they arrive there with the help of the pilot. He kind of guides them into where the base is, because that's where he came from, was from that base. But when they arrive, they realize the Empire is there too, with um, Credit. Credit? <laughs> Credit. They have some interesting names. It's hard to remember. But basically, but he arrives... And he asks all of the scientists to come out because he knows there's a traitor amongst them who's, uh, who's trying to expose the weakness in the Death Star. And so Galen Urso steps forward and says, I'm the traitor. And they kill all of the scientists anyways. And so now they're... Um, Krennic, he's going to take Galen and bring him before the Emperor to kind of torture him and kill him, most likely. Cassian and all of them realize this, but they're too late because not only is um, Jin on the platform trying to get her dad, the rebels have sent a squadron to come and bomb the whole area, and they're they're unable to call them off, and it ends up killing Jin's dad, and the the Empire escapes thinking that they're successful because he's dead. Jin walks up to her dad's body and realizes he's still alive, and he tells her that. The plans to the Death Star are still on Scarif. So if they go to Scarif and get the plans out of there, there's still a chance they could blow up the Death Star. And so then they fly back to the Rebel base, and Jin tells them the whole experience, how her dad put a, um, put a vulnerable spot within the Death Star, and the Rebels don't really believe her, and they're all against the idea of going out to, the, to Scarif. So then she decides on her own to go... And then Cassian and the other rebels we get to know earlier, they all decide to go with her to Scarif. So they all agree to go with Jin to Scarif, and their plan is to find the rebel plans and also to broadcast it across the galaxy so they all so everybody knows the weakness within the Death Star. And um, <clears throat> so they get there, but there's a shield around it, and so they have to sneak in using an old Imperial code on an Imperial ship to get into the base. And um, so then Jin and Cassian and K2SO, they go inside to go and find the plans, whereas all the other rebels, they're trying to, to cause a diversion to draw attention away from them. And <clears throat> on top of that, some of the rebels, they decide they believe them, and they come with a huge fleet, and they start attacking the, uh, the outdoor shield to try to break into it. There's a huge battle going on. Some of the characters we grow to love are killed. 
And then eventually we get to the point where it's just Jane and Cassian, and they're on top of the shield. They're trying to get on top of the giant radar dish so that they can broadcast the plans to all the rebels. They're able to destroy the shield with the help of the pilot. His job was to kind of, you know, send a small message as much as he could to the rebels to let them know, hey, break the shield, we're trying to send you the plans. So they do that, and then um, Jin, she's trying to redirect the signal towards the rebels so that she could send out the message. And you know, she's met up there with um, Krennic, and, he <clears throat> and he's about to shoot her, but then Cassian shoots him, and they're all ready to go. And then, as if things couldn't get worse, the Death Star shows up. And... Just in the nick of time, though, they're able to send out the plans to the, all the ships that are above them, including the little, <clears throat> including the little spaceship that we see in the beginning of Episode Four, which has Princess Leia on it. And so they're able to send the plans up to there, and just as they're about to go into hyperspace, a huge star destroyer comes and has Darth Vader on it, and he takes over the giant Rebel cruiser who is just above the little ship that we see fleeing away in the beginning of episode 4. And it's a crazy sequence with the rebels running with the plans in hand, trying to pass it off to each other, and you see Darth Vader come in with a lightsaber, and he's slicing around about to kill them all, and just in the nick of time, they get it through the last door, and that ship breaks off and goes into hyperspace. And then you see Darth Vader looking down, Kind of in defeat but he knows he needs to pursue them and so they're gone and then the death star which is now taken over by grand moff tarkin they fire um upon scarif and they blow it up to kind of get rid of the evidence of all of the events that had happened there and uh and then it cuts to showing inside the little ship it shows uh <clears throat> captain antilles he gives a disc to a figure who's wearing a white hood, and she turns around, and it's Princess Leia, and she realizes this means hope, and and that's where it ends. It ends right where Episode Four begins, and it's a great, perfect ending to this movie. All right, well, that's the plot for um, Rogue One: A Star Wars Story. I'm gonna go on a break real quick, but first, here's a message from our sponsor. This podcast is brought to you by Anchor. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Here's how. It's totally free. There are tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast from your computer and even your cell phone. But that's not all. Anchor distributes your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many, many more. You could even make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. Anchor is everything you need to make a complete podcast all in one small place. So go on and download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started today. Okay, so we're back from our break. Now I'm going to talk about some critical reviews and my personal reviews on Rogue One, a Star Wars story. So Rotten Tomatoes, they feel it draws deep on the Star Wars mythology while also breaking new narrative. And, and some examples of that, of course, are, like I said, the opening crawl. They still have, you know, a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. 
but rather than having some script coming up after that and then a classic wipe, they don't have that at all. It's just the movie starts and then it says Rogue One later on. And so that's really cool how they are able to break new ground with that. And another example of them doing this is with Solo, but it wasn't done to the same effect and um, it wasn't as good as they did with this one. And Solo it kind of felt out of place. It didn't work out as well. I think they should have stuck with this same method. Um, but nonetheless, that's why Rotten Tomatoes gives it an 84%. Cinema score, they gave it an A on their system, and their system goes from A plus to F. So according to their scoring, it's a pretty good movie. It's above average. But then the New York Times, they say they have all the pieces that were needed, but they didn't know what to do with it. So they felt that there wasn't enough character development and that they were focused so much on the visuals they didn't really care about the characters. And this is <clears throat> and this is true because you don't really get to know the characters as much. You just see them for about five minutes, but then by the end of it, they all die. Spoiler alert. <laughs> and uh, yeah, that kind of makes sense. Like they they didn't spend as much time on the characters as they should have. The more interesting thing about this is when it comes to fans, they're kind of divided about this movie as well. You would think that um, this of all of them would be the better movie that Disney has done, but nonetheless, fans still feel it's not Star Wars enough, which is weird because they have a lot of you know, fan service, they have a lot of connections to all the other movies, and yet they feel it's not as much of a Star Wars movie as it should have been. <clears throat> Whereas others say it's the best Star Wars movie that Disney has made and probably the, one of the better ones ever. So there's no real in-between to it. You either really, really hate it or you really, really like it. And uh, so now that kind of leads into my personal views of it. I absolutely love the visual effects. I thought they were phenomenal. I thought it was really smart that they got a director whose experience was with visual effects. And I loved the blending of the practical and the digital. It was pretty seamless. Um, I did think the Grand Moff Tarkin and Princess Leia, I thought they could have been done better, but ne nevertheless, I still thought it was great for what they were able to do. You know, this is one of the most expensive movies ever. They spent about $250 million on it. So it definitely all went towards the visual effects and special effects. One of my critical points, I thought Saw Guerrera, who was portrayed by Forrest Whitaker, was a little over the top. I, <laughs> I kind of felt he was out of place. Like the way he would say things and inflict things was a little odd. And it kind of reminded me of Battlefield Earth. For those of you who haven't seen that, it's, uh, it's based off of the L. Robert Hubbard's um, story about Scientology. And, uh, yeah, it kind of felt a little off. It felt out of place. But I, I'm i kind of glad they did put him in there, nonetheless, because he has a big connection in the Clone Wars and with Rebels. So it was kind of nice to see that Disney was trying to unify all the different um, properties of Star Wars, the TV shows, with the movies. And that was a pretty cool tidbit. Um... But like I said, I didn't like Forrest Whitaker's portrayal. 
I thought he was a little over the top. But I guess that's his character. I don't know. <laughs> and uh, then the last couple of things. Um, I wish I got to know the characters more. I know it was a short amount of time to get to know them because we do know from the title of episode four that many of them died to bring those plans. But I still would have liked to get to know them better because I didn't feel... It was sad to see them go, but it wasn't tragic. It didn't feel like a tragic story at all. It kind of just felt like, oh, you know, sad to see them go. But it wasn't... We weren't really as connected to, with them as I would have liked. And funny enough, though, that's also my big beef with the sequel trilogy is you don't really connect with the characters either. So I think what Disney needs to do with the Star Wars characters and the Star Wars property is they need to focus on the characters more than the visual effects. I mean, I love really cool special effects, don't get me wrong, but if there's no character and no connection along with it, it's hard to like it. That's what's so nice about the original trilogy is, you know, the characters are charming, you like them, you root for them, and want to get to know them. These ones, they kind of feel flat. Um, but we are getting a, Cal a Cassian TV show. I think it will be on Disney+. Plus. So I'm curious to see where they go with that. So it's, it's good to know that this isn't the last we've seen of these characters. And then my last point, I personally think this is the best Star Wars movie Disney has done. I I love The Force Awakens, but it felt kind of flat. And Last Jedi, um, I don't hate it as much as people do. I don't think it's the worst Star Wars movie by far. I think it's the worst of the sequel trilogy, but definitely not the worst Star Wars movie. I think it's just okay. Um, and then Rise of Skywalker, same thing, like, wasn't good, but it wasn't really bad. It was kind of just okay. Um, but this one I definitely think is the best one they've done. Um, and honestly, I kind of want to see more things like this, where it's like a specific time within the Star Wars timeline, but it's brand new characters that are like one-off. Like, we don't need to see sequels of them, we just need to know them for this. And I think this is kind of what led to the greatness that The Mandalorian is as well. I think that's the second best. Well, actually, I think The Mandalorian is the best thing Disney has done. But, um, Rogue One is the best Star Wars, is the best movie they've done. <clears throat> so I think if they keep doing that, like introducing us to new characters, but within the same universe, I think people will still like it. I think people will like it even more. And I think that'd be great to introduce new fans to it. Because they like these characters. So, I don't know. I I hope Disney does more. But I also hope they don't run faster than they have strength. You know, I hope they don't go all out and all crazy with it without actually putting the effort into it. So it makes sense why they're slowing down. And just focusing mainly on The Mandalorian. And this year finishing off The Clone Wars. So... We'll see what the future of Star Wars holds. I hope we get more antho anthology movies. But Solo 
you know, it's kind of a mediocre movie, so I don't know if that's going to totally get rid of that altogether. I hope not. But we'll have to see. All right. Oh, one more point I got to bring up, though. I think the crowning moment of the whole movie is Darth Vader, you know, chasing all the rebels, um, you know, with his lightsaber and killing them all. I mean, it's kind of like a horror movie. It's insane and crazy how he's doing that. And I kind of want to see a movie just about Darth Vader. Like, I think that would be so awesome. You know, I hope they do it soon because James Earl Jones and he's kind of getting up there in years. So if they are to do it, I hope they do it soon. Because it was really cool seeing him in action. I mean, I had the game The Force Unleashed and, uh, you know, the Battlefront and all those games. So it was cool being able to be Darth Vader in that and uh, see how crazy he could be. But it's really nice to finally see that on screen you know, in a movie. So I hope we get to see more of that as well. All right. Well, those are my thoughts and feelings about Rogue One, A Star Wars Story. Next time, I'll be discussing the next film for Disney Week. This is another package film Disney made during the 1940s, and these movies were made because of the hardships brought on by the Great Depression and World War II. And this one in particular has some creepy ventriloquist dummies and some really strange animated stories with Bongo the Circus Bear and, um, and Mickey Mouse and Jack and the Beanstalk. Or Mickey Mouse and Beanstalk, I think that's what it's called. The film, of course, I'm talking about is fun and fancy free. But for me, I think it's anything but. Alright, well until next time, this has been Surfing Through Cinema with Hawaii Harry. Take care. Thank you for listening to Surfing Through Cinema. Make sure to check us out on Facebook at Surfing Through Cinema with Hawaii Harry and on Instagram with Surfing Through Cinema. We also have a website, www.anchor.fm forward slash Surfing Through Cinema, where you can learn more details on upcoming episodes and on past episodes.